Hello and welcome to the Google Podcast with myself, Rob Watson. And in this episode, I had the pleasure of visiting Alex Nunn in the Action for Happiness offices down in London. I've got to say, I really enjoyed this chat. I was especially finding out all about the the great things that Action for Happiness has been doing over the years. And it was really incredible as well to hear that the Dalai Lama is the patron of the movement and he played a big role in launching this a few years ago. Alex really talks about some of the core values as well behind Action for Happiness and how we can all begin to bring more happiness into our lives, you know, through some very actionable steps, you know, whether that be through helping others or paying more attention to our own core needs. And it's also really interesting to hear about Alex's own journey, sharing how he's having, how he's having an unhappy childhood himself, which led to him rebelling in many ways as he struggled to find meaning in his own life. Well, anyway, thankfully, he, he used all those experiences to drive him forward and drive him on so he could actually play a key role uh, in delivering some of Action for Happiness's programs, which are helping to enrich thousands of people's lives all over the world. So for me, I think this episode really is for anyone who's after a really good dose of positivity, especially during these times of the year when things can seem a little bit grim at times, although I do believe it's very much about perspective and how we approach stuff, but and before we delve into today's episode, I just wanted to share a few things um, since the last one and a few comments that I've received. So, you know, a few things regarding uh, episode six, Dina and Neil's episode. Um, it looks like it's really struck a chord with a few of our listeners, including uh, Jenny Clegg, who is feeling inspired to get out there in her own garden and start growing her own food. Um, I think she's talked about having uh, getting some of her friends around to help give her some tips and, and how she wants to be able to look after soil uh, and the food will come and health will be abundant. So that's great that to hear, Jenny. And then also Brendan Stanley, who really enjoyed it as well. And something else he said about the podcast, he's just said he's really enjoying listening to them, how insightful and inspirational they are. And he's really looking forward to plowing his energy into developing the, a community allotment um, that he's been working on for the past few months. So it's really nice to hear. And then also a really nice um, review that was left on Apple, on Apple iTunes, from someone called Lord Mooch. Um, yeah, not sure that's the real name. It could be a, a nickname for them. Basically, what they said is, uh, in the times we live in, this is a lovely slice of inspiring and uplifting stories and a reminder that doing good is a choice we are all better off making. So I don't think I could have said that better myself. So I really appreciate them comments. So keep them coming and that'd be really nice to hear. So anyway, on to this episode and with the interview. And just a little bit of word about the recording. I did this, as I mentioned, in down at the offices of Action Happiness, which is in a WeWork co-working space, which is an amazing uh, place. Um, but there is a little bit of background noise, but it just got a bit of a feel of it's like a bit of a cafe environment. So it might feel like it's a little bit different as we transition to this one. And if you listen right to the end on this one, you'll hear that I'm playing out with a different song on this one, which feels good and feels really suited for this episode, for this podcast and for this time of the year. So anyway, on to the interview. Okay, Alex, well, first off, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Sounds like you were pretty full on at the moment with things, so um, I appreciate you taking your time out. Yeah, full on, but with many good things, and this being one of those good things. So, pleasure to be here with you. Great stuff. So, for those who may not be aware of Action for Happiness, can you share a little bit about the, the organisation for us? Sure, sure. So, Action for Happiness is a movement of people that believe in trying to create a happier and more caring society. And we go about that through both leaning on the learnings from the latest science in the world of positive psychology and doing this in a very evidence-based and secular way, 
but also on focusing on all the little things that we can do as individuals that have a ripple effect out through all the many places that we exist and are connected to. That sounds amazing. Spreading change, making a difference. Yeah, I'm glad you've kind of pulled up on that aspect because I think there's sort of two levels of change that we're interacting with when we're talking about a happier world. There's change for us as individuals, which I think we can, we can see there's so much opportunity uh, for us to become happier and to, to look more deeply into the sources of our happiness and into the sources of our unhappiness and to become more skillful in navigating that in the world through kind of experimenting with our lifestyle and the actions that we take. But there's also an aspect about this which is about much bigger change. It's about you know, what would society look like if happiness and compassion were placed as the two central values that we built the world under. And I guess what's most interesting about my work and the work we're doing at Action for Happiness is sort of connecting those together, seeing that you know, the individual is part of the bigger system and how can we support those individuals to not only manifest change within themselves, but also to make sure that that change is spreading and impacting as far and widely as it can. Yeah, can, you can often maybe get a sense that some people will think, well, how am I supposed to affect the bigger thing? Because it's so, it's so daunting sometimes. It seems like there's so many challenges, so many issues, but it does feel like it has to tend to start with us, start with the people around us in some ways, and then see, see how that can go on a bit of a ripple effect. Yeah, I think that's that's right. I think it it it, it might be nice to say that it, it starts with us, uh, but it doesn't end there. <laughs> I think it's there's a really important uh, perhaps is yeah within uh, one of our action for happiness's core programs, the, the the course program that we run called Exploring What Matters, which is a sort of community run uh, course run by volunteers uh, offered on donation, where people spend eight weeks gathering together to do three really important things, to, to tune in to what really matters in life, you know, practicing a bit of mindful awareness of their own situation, but also cultivating some active gratitude to help kind of put a slightly more positive light and counterbalance the negativity bias that we naturally have evolved to help us survive over time. Uh, so there's the tuning in, there's, there's connecting with like-minded people and learning from one another, seeing you know, what common humanity we share with people who seem to be different to us and also what other experiences people have had that can help us to learn and grow and then obviously to take action. But I think this really central part of connecting is so important. I think it's the part that people often miss when they look at happiness and well-being through a very self-help lens is actually you know, our relationships form such a critical part of who we are and how we feel that actually learning to prioritise those and to feed those, to nourish those and to look after them uh, in a very active way not only benefits us in some very clear and I hope obvious ways but also builds our capacity to create collective change and helps us to spread you know, new ways of being out through much, much broader networks. Well, it sounds like an amazing organisation to be a part of. And So how long have you been involved in it and how did you get involved with it? Yeah, it's nice actually to reflect on how I came to Action for Happiness. I think I found, yeah, relatively early on in my life and career that I wasn't going to be satisfied with just working on stuff that was all about me. I, I found a lot of satisfaction in working on trying to produce social change, trying to help support people that are doing good work in the world and also to help start building a vision of what a better world could look like so 
that for me involved a lot of supporting campaigning organisations and volunteering in various charities, both kind of abroad and then back in, in London once I'd moved back here. What I found though in working in campaigning was a bit of a mismatch between the efforts people were making to try and change the world and the amount of belief that they actually had that change was possible. There was a sense of quite a limited way of pursuing change that was about getting people either afraid of something that was about to happen that you want to stop happening or getting people quite angry about something that's already happening and trying to use that as a force towards you know, social and political change. I was kind of surprised that there wasn't a broader emotional spectrum on play because it seemed that the corporate world is able to leverage all sorts of kind of positive emotions to get us to, to buy a lot of useless junk. Why can't we be using you know, more positive emotions as a way of including people in, in movements for change? And I, I kind of sat with that disjunct for quite some time before eventually kind of, I think, googling at about 3am campaign for happiness and finding, and finding action for happiness which kind of brought together both this sense, something I felt was really important, which is this, this message that we have an active role in our own happiness and that that's something we can start to take more agency in and can develop the skills of looking after, but that also our happiness is part of something bigger, which is this connection into what the wider world is and how it looks and how we can start to affect that through, the work, through both our way of being and actions that we take. It sounds like you've been on a bit of a journey then yourself. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> Have you always been interested in this way of living, or does, does something trigger it? Was you was it you working in, say, more of the corporate world and seeing that you weren't able to affect stuff, or you were a bit frustrated with that kind of model and system, or is it sort of like backdated, sort of as you were younger, feeling maybe there was more to life, maybe a different way to live, a different way to go with things? Yeah, I think probably of those two options, I'll go for option. Too, yeah. <laughs> I um, I didn't have that happy a, a young age in some ways. I um, I really struggled in school. My my I had a parental kind of breakup um, when I was very young, and then kind of sort of struggled to find a sense of meaning. Rebelled against a lot of authority, and felt that I had a lot of capacity that was quite untapped. I discovered later I was undiagnosed kind of dyslexic so my learning model and, and way of working was quite different from what kind of fitted the, the formal education system and uh, that led to me doing quite a lot of rebelling and dropping out and although I gained a lot of independence in creating this identity as a bit of a rebel uh, I didn't gain a lot of happiness and I found myself you know at the age of sort of 17, 18, 19 really quite unhappy seeing that a lot of the a lot of the tools that I was using to create my own happiness of partying a lot and doing quite a lot of sort of drugs and alcohol consumption actually although they create little moments of pleasure actually weren't leading to very much happiness and I I was lucky enough to have a, an opportunity to to try something different which was that my dad who had recently sort of got back in contact with me offered me the opportunity to go out and live and work in, in Ukraine, where he was working on a project called People First, which was all about trying to inspire a new generation of people 
in Ukraine, young people in Ukraine, to get more actively involved in grassroots politics and, and believe that they can make a difference in their system. So I got to spend about four years working directly on inspiring young people to believe in change. And that's sort of what planted the, the seed for me. Um, I guess where my journey really took a second big turn is in coming across both kind of mindfulness and some sort of Buddhist inspired thinkers, people like Mathieu Ricard who wrote a book called The Art of Happiness um, that really started to turn me on to some of the ideas that actually my happiness is so big on about the fact that our happiness is something that both matters and is to a certain extent really under our control, something we can really affect. That's really nice to hear a bit more of the backstory and for you to be honest and to open up yeah. and to talk about your sort of um, yeah, your experiences. And I can relate to a lot of that stuff, talking about rebelling and feeling like you didn't really fit into the system or you weren't necessarily feeling like it was making the most of you or your talents and your skills. And there was a very much focus on kind of, it was a lot of structure and following rules and stuff. So mm -hmm. I think um, so it feels like a lot of people have kind of been put in that box and they have broken out in many ways and it might be like rebelling and causing you know certain issues and challenges in your life but it feels like that then leads you on the path to where it brings you now and spurs you on and so it seems like where well, you've gone on and to be here now for action and happiness has been like a well you don't seem very old you still seem young so it's nice that you're there now mm. doing that but understand there's like 10 keys is there suppose that you've got with action happiness to, to live in happier happier living is that the case could you potentially share like a few of them things that you've got yeah so the, the 10 keys to happier living is a, is a framework that was produced by our kind of resident psychologist uh, Vanessa King who took this emerging field of kind of positive psychology and, and the great sort of wealth that had been built up in that um, and helped to structure it in a way that people can really make use of. So I think rather than going through each of the 10 keys, maybe I'll pick out, I was reflecting on this actually earlier today, um, someone very nicely pointed out that the, the 10 keys follow this uh, acronym of great dream, um, but the G of great, uh, which kicks them off, is, is giving, and the M of dream is meaning. So I think the fact that the 10 keys start with giving and end in meaning uh, is is really, kind of tells you quite a lot about what's in there. I mean, there's some other useful things in there about awareness and, and a kind of focus on our exercise and looking after ourselves and things. But there's something that I think really fits into, is a sort of antidote to a lot of the materialistic, self-interested messages that we receive and are bombarded with on a, on a daily basis in, in our culture, which is that actually what matters most is our sense of interconnection with the systems that are around us and us feeling like we have a... A positive role to play and have some kind of positive agency within that one of the best ways of experiencing that is through giving is through actually donating either your time you know the, the gift of kindness can be so transformative not you know yes of course it may have an effect on the person you're being kind to but it has a huge effect for you as well as well as the kind of ripple culture effect of people witnessing that and, and wanting to replicate it too so that combined with this idea of, of meaning and I think this is something I've been reflecting on quite a bit recently is this interaction between the well-being movement and sort of more radical movements for social change and what value do they have for each other because 
there's one sense in which it's it's pretty obvious that you know some well-being skills can help make activists better activists they can stop people from burning out they can help people have you know a more positive sense of themselves and their vision can help make people more compassionate um, all of that is very very good but there's something actually that I think is that works the other way around which is that by starting to become more active in facing some of the world's problems, it can have a real knock-on effect for our well-being in quite a positive way. It might not seem that way at first, because actually when you first start to interact with some of these bigger problems, you encounter a lot of grief, frustration, sense of powerlessness. But as we start to educate ourselves and engage in a more direct way with some of these bigger problems in the world, we can start to find actually we do have some agency. There may be small things we can do and there may be people around us who are already doing more significant things that we can start to play a part of. And we can start to become part of a more meaningful collective change. And that sense of being involved in part of making the difference is hugely transformative if we've previously been repressing our awareness of what's going on in the world. That seems like two great ones to, to pull out. Meaning, if you've got some meaning in your life, you know, if you enjoy what you're doing with your work, if you feel like you've got a connection with people and also you're actually playing some active role in some change, whether it be something that can help things in society or whatever, you just feel better. Like you say with kindness, kind acts, random kind acts. I came across your, I think it was your Google calendar mm -hmm. for, for December and all little little things that you could do throughout throughout the month, you know, just little simple things and not huge get gestures, small things that, you know, will put a smile on someone else's face, but will actually put a big smile on your face as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's nice to hear that. And I also understand there's a toolkit as well for schools. Yeah, that's right. I think what's really interesting about Action for Happiness is, you know, although you know, we are an organisation, we are a formal charity, we've got fantastic founders, we've got the support of the Dalai Lama, we've got all this stuff that's great about us as an organisation. Personally, I think what's most amazing about us is that we are a movement. We are a movement of people who are, you know, inspired to take the core principle of Action for Happiness, this idea of we pledge to, to try to do as much as we can to create happiness for ourselves and others and, and to limit the amount of unhappiness we cause in the world. Um, to live in that particular way, but that people take the inspiration and the things like the 10 keys and then f craft that into what they need, both in the context of their lives and in the spaces that they care about. So things like the toolkit for schools actually came from two volunteers who happen to be you know, wonderful um, clinical psychologists and someone with a lot of experience in, in education, um, who step forward to just say, look, we want to, we want that, we think there should be something to help spread some of these ideas to, to a younger generation for, I think it's seven to eleven year olds. This particular toolkit, and they, you know, work together to take um, the ten keys with some advice from Vanessa, and turn it into something that could be delivered by, uh, you know, conscientious teachers. Uh, to uh, their, their students, and I, it's it's a really creative pack where I think there, there's. The, the principle of it is that there's an alien from the planet Sad um, who doesn't know how, doesn't know about happiness, and the, it's the task of the kids in the classroom to explain uh, to to this alien visitor what happiness is, how it works, and through that they get to kind of engage with so many of these important subjects. And I think, 
you know, that might be a, a small drop in the ocean for what might be happening in these kids' lives. But actually, those tools and resources and those seeds of inspiration being planted so early on can only have a really positive effect, you know, overall. Absolutely. And like you say, you don't know what's going on in their lives and stuff. And sometimes just having some time to spend on this can actually maybe be a bit of an anchor point for them as they grow up and go older. So is there quite a bit of an uptake on that? Is it is it quite... Do you know how many schools or kids might actually be like using that? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not involved directly with the promotion of the school toolkit, um, so I can't. Yeah, that's I okay. Find out for you. But no, that's okay. It's just um, I'm just really intrigued by it, and I can see it's great that it's available there. It's great that it's a tool there that can be used. Is it aimed at a certain age group? Yeah, so that's for key stage two, I believe which is 7 to 11, yeah. and there's work being done to create Key Stage 3. And I suppose the part that I'm more involved in, um, leading our kind of adults programme of, of uh, exploring what matters, is to look at um, young people and students particularly, where there's so much around exam stress, um, you know, f- having to forge the purpose and meaning of your life and how you'll economically support yourself through pursuing that meaning, um, all at the same time as... So many other life pressures are on you, and you may be sort of independent from your family in a new way for the first time. Also, is is a hugely critical time, and I think that's one of the areas where we're really looking to develop more systems of support for for young people. I think there's a lot being done by universities already to start to look at well-being, but I think to bring in some of the more meaning angle is is the sort of next piece of the puzzle so that young people can see that you know, there, there are practical ways that they can start to build a sense of, of agency, that they can tune in to what really matters to themselves, they can connect to others and they can start to take action. I think one of the challenges that we face in terms of in the school system, you know, what is actually maybe taught about uh, physical health, what's talk about emotional health, you know, which is really important. What, how can we then go out and live in the world, set practical advice, which kind of feels like it's missing, but certainly missing in my time, and the teachers that I speak to now still will say, seems to be very much focused on exams and following a certain structure and stuff, so you can then progress and, and stuff. And he says, you know, a lot of pressure that gets put on people for exams. Who knows if they've had a bad night's sleep or they've been worrying about stuff, and then on that day, they just, they just don't perform well. And then that having that D grade or E grade can then have a real impact on you going on in the future and that's necessarily just because the system wasn't necessarily right for us or it didn't support us the way it could. Yeah, I think the part of that that resonates with me and my own story is how our relative success within those systems does or doesn't become part of our identity and how much self-judgment there is on the basis of how we may or may not perform, which I think harms you know, both those that succeed and don't succeed. Obviously, those that can people can feel very crippled by, by carrying around bad grades with them or feeling like they didn't do well in school. But likewise, there are lots of people who do very, very well in school, kind of maybe go on to do very well in university, and then really struggle when they come out to the real world and have a, they don't have that sense of structure around them um, to define what, where they should be going, what they should do, and where do they get the next great score. Um, and, you know, of course, many people continue to, to focus on achievement as a route to well-being right the way through their lives, but only to often find perhaps sometimes a sort of midlife crisis point that actually they've been putting a lot of effort in and achieving a lot of you know, external goals, 
but actually don't feel very connected, don't feel like their life has much meaning, and as a result are not very happy. Absolutely, there's something um, something deeply missing for them because that sense of connection, that sense of meaning. One thing that seems to sort of feel right for me is in terms of when you're in school and growing up, real em emphasis on competition. It's like whoever comes first is supposedly you know, put on a pedestal, but whoever comes bottom, no one wants to come bottom. Everyone's aimed to come first, so straight away from such a young age. Someone I interviewed recently, they actually homeschool their children. Mm. Some of the older kids went through the normal system, but the youngest one is homeschooled, and she was talking about how competition breeds insecurity, and how, you know, you see it, and then you see that just going through the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. As we grow up, pitting against each other, whether it's in the workplace, or whether it's playing sports, or in whatever way, whoever's got the fanciest car, or the most ex biggest salary. Mm. And it kind of feels like it's just this endless pursuit. In a way, endless pursuit of happiness, but you're never gonna, you're never gonna get there. You might get glimpses or moments of it, but it's not, it's, it's always out there. It's yeah. not, it's not here. Mm. So, that's something I ponder quite a bit. So, the Dalai Lama, hey? Fancy having him as your patron, I believe, of the <laughs> charity? Yeah. yeah. I saw on the website there's a, a beautiful piece of paper which looks like it's almost been scripted by him with a little stamp or signature. Mm -hmm. How did, do you know how that came about and being involved in it? Well, I think the, the sort of deeper answer to, to why the Dalai Lama is choosing to be a, a patron of, of this movement and to help us kind of promote our course program and, and do everything he does to help maximum happiness kind of spread um, is that he is you know a lifelong committed campaigner for happiness and compassion that's he's probably the number one speaker on the world stage calling for people to focus more deeply on, on creating happiness for themselves and others um, and also for us to treat each other with the maximum kindness that we can uh, so there's that there's that deep resonance between the mission that we've created in a very secular way and, and, and his views, which obviously come out of the Mahayana Buddhist tradition. Um, I think in terms of how uh, he actually became uh, the first, he was actually the first member of the Extra Happiness Movement before wow. before it fully formed, and it's it's due to one of our founders, Richard Layard, Lord Richard Layard, who's um, a very senior uh, economist who works on kind of the World Happiness Report and you know, has done. That has a very, very kind of esteemed kind of career of trying to pursue positive change, primarily in in British society, where he's sort of member of the House of Lords and, and been advisor to various governments. Um, but looking at sort of well-being economics and how a greater focus on well-being and mental health um, can really sort of support uh, a society to thrive. I think he literally was at a conference with the Dalai Lama um, and sort of leant across to him. <laughs> and, <laughs> Uh, Richard's got a fantastic way of, of winning people over, uh, and even the Dalai Lama could not resist. <laughs> wow, so there you go. And is that his name's on it? Is there anything else sort of connection with him moving forward? Does he? Is there any um, conversations or input? Well, the Dalai Lama was, you know, incredibly generous in coming in 2015 to help us launch our course program, which is, you know, now spread to sort of 20 countries around the world, and we've run this for. I think about 5,000 people have experienced the course since 2015. So it's, you know, a, a big part of that momentum was generated by 
the Dan Allen being willing to come and do this day event with us and go on the BBC and, and champion this this course and put his his name to it. So you know we're incredibly grateful for that. I think his his availability in in the UK is very limited. He you know I think he's travelling less and less these days and really looking after his own well-being and and health more and more, which I think is really obviously so important. And we're we're so incredibly grateful to him for everything that he does. But no, unfortunately, no. Um, I can't sort of reveal any. Um, upcoming <laughs> as yet unannounced events um, but certainly we, you know, we'd love to see him back in the UK whenever it's possible So you're not going on speed dialing on your phone <laughs> 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 Not quite um, So you talk about the programmes that you've done around mm. the world and what 5,000 people have sort of affected by them and got involved in them How, What do they look like, the programmes? Yeah, I mean yeah, number of people affected is a really interesting question so we've had 5,000 people who have been through this eight-week course, who have signed up for this, this eight-week course, um, exploring what matters. So what that looks like is you get kind of keen volunteers, maybe someone a bit like yourself, who's kind of maybe done a bit of personal journeying around happiness and well-being and is keen on developing that for themselves, but also, really importantly, carries this desire of altruistic motivation of wanting to support others and to make change happen and particularly is interested in bringing together a group of like-minded people to work on that together and that's exactly what they do they get together in pairs and then they work on finding a, a venue and, and setting up this opportunity for people to come together for a course and then people gather in groups of about sort of 15 20 uh, to go through this process that I was outlining earlier of, of tuning in to what really matters you know, in fact just the opportunity to stop in our crazily busy stressed out lives and just take a look at what's going on can itself be future transformational but they get to do that with the solidarity of a group around us who are also committed to doing the same thing who've got different experiences and can offer different views but ultimately at a heart level resonate with us in exactly the same common human way um, and then to experiment each week with with picking actions that might be relevant to us. And there's a lot of supportive material in the course as well. There's kind of videos from different experts talking about themes such as you know how we can find peace of mind or what makes for great relationships or how we can create happier communities all the way up to you know what we can do together to create a happier world. But ultimately it's about the experiences that the people in the room themselves bring and their preparedness to stop, tune in, connect and take action. That sounds amazing. So how to, could anyone so anyone feels like setting one of them up is that how it kind of works or is it you have to tag along to some sort of um, like a network that's already out there it's really open to anyone to put themselves forward as someone who might be a potential course leader there are a few you know, necessary conditions in place about being able to find a venue find a co-leader you know having the right sorts of skills and the right sorts of intentions but the course really has been designed to be as open and accessible as possible you know this is this is not something that we've designed as a sort of you know corporate training package this is something that's meant to be very human and ultimately its value is about the space that's created for people to be able to share into and be able to experience coming to back to themselves and, and understanding each other. Those skills required to make that happen is something that is actually common to a great deal of us. So I would say that anyone in the right frame of mind with the right preparation can run this course. Well, that sounds really inspiring and I'm sure people that maybe listen to this would be really intrigued and interested in sort of following following that up. Does it tie into the happy cafes that are popping up all over the country? Will people do them potentially in them spaces? Is that interconnected? 
Yeah, that's a, a really good question. So I think the link between the Happy Cafe initiative that was again started by one of our really involved volunteers who came up with this idea of wanting to start a Happy Cafe near them and then the idea spread and now they're managing this network of Happy Cafes right around the world. It ties in really well with one of the objectives of the course which is about community building. You know, what we're really doing by offering these courses is inviting groups to come together and start to build real relationships and connections that they can rely on to be inspired and supported by as they kind of go on their own journey of discovering how to create more happiness for themselves, the people around them, and to tie into some of these broader aspects of promoting happiness in the world. The cafes are just the perfect sort of foundation for bringing those people together. So one of the things that happens after the course finishes is that often groups don't want to stop. <laughs> they want to keep meeting, uh, maybe on more like a monthly basis than a weekly basis. But the happy cafes are just a perfect venue for people to come together and do that and to, to meet people with that sense of intention that they know they share. It feels like for me what's going on at the moment is people are taking steps towards this kind of being called more integrated more connected as you say community mm. and something that's really interesting me particularly is the idea of like co-housing the co-housing movement oh, right. yeah um have you come across, have you watched have you probably watched the happy documentary i've not actually seen that thank you for the reminders to follow it up yeah it's absolutely incredible documentary. I watched it a few years ago and I was just so inspired by it. It looked at basically um, focused on four of the blue zones around um, the world. So for anyone who's, who's not aware of the blue zone, listen to this. It's basically the people with the highest percentage of people who live over 100. And there's one, I think it's an island off Japan. There's an island mm. off Italy. Uh, there's a Greek island and there's also a place in California. And it just seems that real sense of community connection that feels like in the modern day of living has just been completely disintegrated mm -hmm. and you know it seems people get old they're either going to care homes or whatever it's like no it's about bringing it all back you know but so how far I'm willing to push it I'm not too sure but we're actually going to go and see a co-housing space um, near us soon and we're going to I'm going to go up to see a Fintorn oh. up in Scotland mm -hmm. and do the residential week there as well just to see how that community feel is because I think a lot of us you know, I, what I used to love, it's interesting, when I was a young, I was a kid, you mm. know, your friends might come out and knock on the door for you, it's like, you're coming out to play or whatever, and there was no timing for it, there's no structure for it, you just felt connected and you'd go out and you go and do whatever you want, but as you grow older and you become, you know, you get your jobs and you get your home and stuff, no one comes around to knock, knock on the door to play with you anymore, do you? you kind of have to drive 30 minutes or an hour and you have to book onto a yoga class or you need to do this and you need to do that. So I think there's a yearn inside all of us, I believe, of us to feel more connected, to get more connected. And this co-housing movement, and in the Happy documentary, it focused on a particular place in Denmark mm. where, and it showed a, a woman who she'd split up from her husband since she was left to be a single mum with kids so she could either live in a home on her own and feel disconnected instead she moved into this co-housing space must have been about 30 other families that were in there and all of a sudden instead of her just being a single mum with two kids all of a sudden she had all these new people and everyone it kind of feels like yeah they're your kids but then when other kids are come in you kind of care and love for them kids just as much you've got you understand just at a base level mm. we're all human beings and to be in that space together and the way it works is this is something that i absolutely love is that everyone's got their own self-contained space so if you want to you know you, you're having a bad day or a bad weekend you don't want to say that's fine 
but then there's this community area where there's a big kitchen and most most nights people will tend to come together and cook and eat together mm. and you can do it in such a way if there's about 30 or 40 50 people in these spaces that f- for the course of two months you might only have to cook three times but you cook for everyone and then the rest of the time it's someone's been cooking cooking for you and helping out and Something in me definitely feels like that's a it's a it's a stepping stone in a way for us leading that, and I believe it's popping up quite a bit in Canada and America now, mm-hmm. and and spreading. So maybe not going to be like full on blue zones, um, but in our communities we're going to have these spaces and um, just feeling yeah more more connected. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That'll certainly follow up on the documentary and the um, I guess the what that sort of brought up for me is the sense of the sense of vision because we obviously not everyone's going to have the opportunity to just go off and set up a co-housing experience I'm sure there's certain conditions that need to be in place for someone to be able to do that but it's really helpful that people are thinking of you know what the alternatives are to what we currently have and I can already imagine you know described that so beautifully that experience of kind of community that's built when you cook for each other and live to live with each other and you know I'm thinking from a sort of climate change perspective the idea of them being able to produce and grow and sustain themselves you know with their own food and things and and maybe even produce local energy and things is obviously so much wiser than the chaotic and you know really dreadful um, industry that system that we have at the moment on a sort of smaller scale is, is, is really beautiful I guess what I'm interested in is how we can not just allow that to be some sort of vision that is for a small elite that you know have the privilege of being able to interact in that way, but it becomes something that we can draw the principles out of that can be inspired and passed on to everybody. Because actually the sense of whether or not you feel in kinship with the people around you you know, it's not just due to whether or not you live with them. It's also about how you allow yourself to, to set up either certain judgments or how much you allow yourself to open. You know, I've, I've recently been practicing, it's not something I've been particularly good at, but I've recently been practicing trying to open myself more to, to homelessness that's around me. Because, you know, in where I live in East London, the, the amount of homelessness has been growing and growing. Now, it's always been an issue in that area. Um, but I noticed that even myself involved in all sorts of volunteering and good projects, you know, at the end of the day when I'm tired, I've got my own stuff going on, the, the easiest and most natural thing for me to do is to just close. And part of my closing that naturally happens is a sense of narrative that helps me in closing, which is, well, this person's probably not quite you know, as bad as they seem, or, you know, maybe it's a sort of scam, or, or I think I saw this person in another, you know, so much stuff that the mind does to support me in my closing. But by, you know, partly due to stuff that I've done with Actual Happiness, which is, you know, I can take this on as a project for myself of looking at this area, is that I am starting to practice more. What would it mean to just, to just practice giving? And it's interesting, you know, I, I'm really... Um, someone came out with the phrase recently that I think it was in a book I was reading actually that it's much easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting and the process of me choosing to stop and engage with homeless people around me and choosing to give a small amount of change and trying to deal more in cash so that I have change to give actually 
all adds up to me feeling more trusting and you know caring for those people you know and it's, it's interesting that it took the action to change my thought rather than a new thought to change my action it's really interesting that a lady that i interviewed for i think it's episode three of this podcast she through an interaction with a homeless man she that she would see generally you know she would walk past him most days at times and then all of a sudden she just felt like she wanted to she'd get him coffee and stuff along the way but all of a sudden she felt like engaging with him just giving some time to speak to him make him feel and treat him like a, a human being so and then she got to hear about his story and she just felt so moved and touched by that story that then triggered her to set up her homeless organization which is now connecting all other homeless organizations so through that one interaction that just by her being brave in some ways or just tapping in feeling you know and then doing something about it and, and and then who knows where that goes like she didn't have any idea by actually engaging with him that she'd all of a sudden a few years later have this mm-hmm. homeless organization and i think the more of us that can maybe put ourselves in the other person's shoes show a little bit more compassion realize that everyone's got their own story to tell everyone's had their own hardship everyone has had their own trauma in their life no matter what it is and I think the more of us that we can feel like that, we realise that we're all just trying to get to the same place, you know, and we all just want the same things and we all need the same things. Um, so it feels like we could, um, we could have a happier life ourselves and help them people have happier lives as well. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think there's so much about, you know, the inspiring stories of people who, who do a lot that can really motivate us. Um, but I'm also aware that there's... One of the blocks in taking action, like reaching out and being more compassionate to to people in need around us, is actually a fear of attending to our own wounds. That actually we, you know, we carry so much unattended suffering in us that when we see the suffering around us, it's actually an invitation to be in touch with things that we'd actually rather not be in touch with about ourselves. And I think one of the most important sort of qualities that can help move us towards more compassionate behaviour and and more happiness overall is actually a bit more self-kindness, a bit more willingness to to be gentle and to be forgiving and to be accepting of our own failings such that we can start to move and, and work in the world more kindly and more intelligently for others too. So it sounds like you've done quite a bit of that, your own work there and stuff you talk a little bit about your childhood and uh, the challenges you may have faced and stuff so in your time of before you've come to action happiness or even now you know the self-work doesn't stop even you know when you feel like you've you've cleared quite a lot of stuff there's always going to be something so would you mind sharing any of the the practices that you may do to help you to be more in touch with yourself potentially i think at the key all of us could probably do with loving ourselves more and maybe that's something that doesn't feel you know I, something that I've been doing more for myself is just trying to do my best to accept myself for how I am now mm. by all means feel like I can become a better version of me but to validate who I am now and mm. to realise how far I've come but I'd love to hear any of your practices or techniques or experiences whether they be painful or very joyful along the way yeah I think the insight that's springing to mind most readily I think is most useful is this non-separation of self and other but actually 
you know, we can feel, for some of us who are very other-orientated, it can feel like doing something for ourselves is somehow selfish. For some of us who are, you know, really aware of what our own needs are, trying to do something for others can feel like it's overstretching us. And actually, I think the real liberation comes from witnessing how enmeshed in each other we are and that actually you know to serve others we do need to be able to look after ourselves but that to look after ourselves one of the most successful things we can do is to do something kind for others and this kind of non-linearity is actually it might seem quite paradoxical but it's actually hugely liberating because it gives us the permission to look after the needs that are really present and to take whichever direction actually is going to suit us best so yeah, I think I think that more than anything else has really opened up my ability to experiment with who I am and what I need and how I can best serve the world that's a good response <laughs> thanks for that because when you're saying that, something that sort of comes to my mind, you hear about people who will be full-time carers for maybe mm. a loved one or something like that, and they end up giving almost everything to that individual mm. without probably having the space or time in many ways to actually think, well, they need to be doing stuff for themselves as well. They need some time for themselves. Because the way I see it for me is that I need to be in a place of feeling healthy and um, emotionally balanced before I feel in some ways that I can be of service. But then like you say, it's a bit of both. Sometimes you do something and that feeds you. Other times you do something for you, that feeds you. Yeah. So yeah, it's not linear. Um, but I think it's just about taking them steps. And, um, yeah, I think it's, I'm glad you brought up, you know, the people who in our society do do so much. There are so many, you know, single parents and carers and you know, hospital workers and you know, so many public servants really and people who are doing so much to care for others who are others orientated and are giving and giving and giving and are burnt out and need the opportunity to, to really care for and look after themselves and to be given a bit of a break. I think that's so true. And I think it matches up to also though on the other side of this this kind of spectrum, the people who are already doing a lot for themselves and are able to really look after themselves but are feeling a bit empty and meaningless who might have you know might be looking after their health and their body might be might be doing a bit of you know uh, maybe a bit of volunteering or a bit of kind of putting themselves out there and um, are, are kind of really have really achieved a lot in their careers and are supporting their families financially etc who somehow still feel this emptiness and there's something for them about opening up more to others that doesn't take away from their achievements, but puts their achievements into a context where they really have meaning and value. So these two groups can really support and nourish each other. I'm interested to know, say, for anyone who's listening to this who's thinking, okay, well, what could I do? What if? What can I be doing right now? I'm feeling a decent place with myself. What, you know, is there any pointers or tips or advice that you would be like, you know, a bit, there's a bit of a blueprint, or is it more people just? going with the gut feeling of, of how they should act. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the, the blueprints and telling people what to do model, because I think our lives as human beings are so complicated. The histories that we carry, the needs that we have, are so diverse that what's right for you in this moment 
is something that can only really truly be known to you. But I think having the willingness to pause so that you can make contact with what's really here you know, can really be transformative. I think if you don't give yourselves the moment to stop, it's going to be very hard to see clearly what is going on and to know what the right next step is. So yeah, for me, uh, I do I don't practice as much meditation as I feel like I probably should, but I do possibly hundreds of times throughout the day just pause in maybe in between a thought, maybe just before a breath, maybe when I'm listening to someone, just give myself the space to just come back into contact with what's present right now. And it's yeah, hugely beneficial in giving me leverage over knowing what to do next. I can totally sort of um, feel into that as well in that slowing down in many ways i found in my life i've been putting the brakes on big time for the past few years it's given me the space to allow to me go after the things that i actually want to do in my life mm -hmm. and i'm actually getting there faster now because i'm slowing down which seems like it doesn't make sense but it's true mm -hmm. you know i think is it the her and the tortoise the, the story that we all got told who wins the race you know slow and steady um, so you talk about meditation and mindfulness. Is there a particular when you do meditate and stuff? I know you talked about uh, you talked about Buddhism a bit. Mm. Did you practice any sort of um, specific technique in terms of mindfulness? Yeah, good question. So I think I guess my number one top tip for mindfulness is don't do it alone. Actually. It's one of the things that I think gets missed out. It's, it's practiced a lot and emphasized a lot community in, um, in the Buddhist tradition. And it's something that's missed out of a lot of the secular mindfulness movement. There's a lot of things which are about kind of apps and um, guided meditations you can do at home on your own or sitting for 20 minutes before bed or when you've just gotten up in the morning. And I think all that stuff's really valuable. But the thing that's most transformative for kind of helping you to develop a real practice that's going to integrate into your life is to practice in a community where you can practice the mindfulness of, of listening, mindfulness of speaking, mindfulness of eating food and sharing food together. So for me, I, I was very, very lucky around the same time I joined Action for Happiness to, to become part of what's called the Wake Up Movement, which is connected to a Zen teacher called Titna Han. Uh, I spend a bit of time each year in a, a monastery in the south of France called Plum Village. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, there's all sorts of top tips that you can find out there for what kind of meditation suits what person and, you know, all sorts of diagnostic tools you can, and different teachers telling you different ways to enlightenment. But for me, I think the number one top tip is do it with others, yeah. Um, so that, that's, really, um, that's really nice to hear. You talk about the Wake Up um, mm. programme. It sounds like you've got loads of amazing programmes that Action Happiness have been you know, part of and in creating. Can you tell us a little bit more about the, the Wake Up movement? Yeah, so, so Wake Up is, is something that Action Happiness has partnered with a lot and has been a big sort of part in, in my life, but it's something that exists more in the sort of spiritual world of, of Zen Buddhism, actually. Uh, it's a movement that comes from this wonderful peace activist and um, poet. Uh, he was actually nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Martin Luther King, which is quite a big claim to fame, I think. Um, but he's this wonderfully gentle, quiet monk, essentially, uh, called Titnat Han. Uh, he's 
yeah, was exiled during the Vietnam War for the peace work that he was doing and kind of refusing to take sides whilst trying to heal the conflict. Um, ended up settling in France, which is a huge, you know, a, a huge benefit to us Westerners because it means we've got access to kind of the real deal. It's kind of like having a, a sort of mini Dalai Lama kind of on our doorstep, um, in, yeah, right in the centre of Europe. So he's been there for, for a number of years. Or 50 years I think um, and there's a, a great sort of community and practice centre and I think what's what's wonderful about visiting a place maybe monastery brings up the wrong connotations I kind of think of it more as a sort of spiritual butlins <laughs> it's like a it's like a summer camp with all these sort of yeah monks and nuns playing table tennis and serving each other tea and you know creating so much joy that the, it, there's a spirit of both conscious awareness and also joyfulness that arises from that conscious awareness as well as an ability to kind of meet suffering in a way that's truly deeply kind of compassionate that you know just gets accelerated when people choose to live that way I suppose it's similar to your co-housing kind of point from earlier when people are choosing to live under a certain set of values and to to water those in each other on a day-to-day basis and to practice those deeply for themselves but also that nook of being together and building that network energy it's a wonderful thing to go and kind of dip into and i think that connective energy has all come together what i'm understanding what i'm hearing as well is it's inspiring then people to get involved in campaigning more and people are having more of a voice because we're talking more it's not just maybe listening to the radio or listening to the news and getting the news that way people are coming together and having a you know, thoughtful conversations, questioning things, you know, I think it's really important that we, we question a lot of things. Um, and then that can then inspire people to set up maybe online petitions or write to whoever in the government or to start a rally or whatever it may be, kind of feeling like, you know, to, to create some sort of change. And that kind of comes because you feel like you've got that shared power between you and connectedness. So you mentioned about that you, you've been down to the south of France, you go, mm. there, go there every year? Yeah, I have done for the past few years, yeah, been for the past four or five years. And I would imagine living and working in London, it could almost be an essential part of your life to be able to take yourself out of here. Like I, you know, come down the train today and um, as much as I like being in London, I think I'd find it challenging to, to live and work here every day, that's just me personally. Um, yeah. I'd imagine whoever's here, particularly yourself, who feels like, you know, the work that you're doing, I'm sure doing what you do now feeds you in many ways. Mm. Um, but you can't get away from how hectic it is around here. Yeah, I mean, being in London, we really are at one of the global epicentres of where the change most needs to happen. Because this is the place where a lot of the decisions are made about how the world is run. and. You know, for better or worse, this is where we have the opportunity to, to make some change. So although this is an, also an epicentre of toxicity, both kind of literal pollution and kind of psychological pollution, um, it's somewhere that, you know, real change can happen. But I, I wanted to come back to the point that you were raising about how people focusing more on well-being actually leads to more positive pro-social action because I think that's a really important point that people often miss I think sometimes people feel that if a focus on happiness and well-being is going to make them somehow more selfish 
more, more kind of like me focused. Um, and actually, from the experiences that I've had of interacting with you know thousands of people across the work we do at Action for Happiness, it's totally the opposite of that. When people start to focus, you know, really ask themselves the question of, you know, what is happiness for me and where does it come from and how can I look after it? it instead of making them more selfish, it, it produces some very different things. It, it enables them to see more clearly what the obstacles to happiness in their lives really are, the sort of false happiness that they've been sold through either working really hard or trying to acquire the next gadget or thing that they think is going to bring them sort of satisfaction in their lives, often through some social proof model of other people seeing them in a particular way. It also makes them much more, you know, they can see that and they can start to see that for what it is and see through it and, and choose a different way of interacting. It also makes them much more aware of the connections that they have with others. People start to just very intuitively go, oh, yeah, there are aspects about my work that I really appreciate, but it's not so much these achievements that I make, it's you know the camaraderie that I have with the people that I see every day, and the value that these people play in my lives, and the value of my family, the value of my friends. It starts to make them much naturally much more others orientated, which is why you know Exploring What Matters, which is essentially a course that's quite focused on happiness, also produces such increases in social trust and compassion. And you know the last thing is that it builds our agency. I think it when we are, I know from my own life, the times when I've felt most unhappy are also the times when I've felt most powerless to do it, to affect change for myself or for others. The more that we start to do these little things of taking a little step or starting to practice some mindfulness or you know, trying to speak to someone on the way home, all of those things start to create a momentum of the actual power that we have to make a difference in our own lives and the lives of others. And you know, there was something we, we started to touch on earlier about this Exploring What Matters program and the 5,000 people that have been through it. That's not 5,000 people impacted. That's 5,000 people that have been through the program. But in that program, every single week, every one of those 5,000 people is choosing to take some personal action that will definitely go beyond remote themselves. Even if that's a tiny self-care action, like at the end of my hard-working day, I'm actually gonna stop and I'm gonna have a bath, I'm not gonna work on emails and see and switch devices off. That little you know, in interjection into their life actually will affect how they behave the next day with the people that they may sort of see on the bus or people that they might you know, interact with in their workplace. So it has a ripple effect. And when you think of over the course of eight weeks, someone practicing, taking an action, reflecting on that action, taking another action, reflecting on that action, taking another action, in a group environment where they're all supporting each other to experiment with those, those actions can get far, far more significant and can actually start to impact a great amount of people. So I'm not going to put a, a figure on what the multiplier is of the extent to which those actions ripple out, but I think there's, there's actually quite a lot of evidence to show how you know even small actions and changes in someone's uh, emotional well-being can ripple out to, to kind of many degrees out from the initial kind of person who was going through that work. So the number of people affected is 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 a lot larger than the number of people that have been through the program, and that's part of why I feel there's a there's hope uh, in work like this to actually make a significant change because. You know, whilst the personal change is so important and that's what we have the skills in and what we're helping people to you know, come, come into their own awareness about and find their own route through, ultimately what we need if we're talking about a happier and more caring society and a happier and more caring world is to institute cultural change. And the way we're going to pursue that is through meaningful collective action. Yeah, beautiful. Nicely put. You know, them 5,000 people who've done on the programme, 
I think what's so important as well is for them to be doing it with others, with like-minded individuals. Mm. They'll feel like they've got a support network as well. Because sometimes I think you might go off and do some sort of event and then you plug back into your life and you're in the same situation, same work environment where then people haven't just done that experience. So you can maybe feel a little bit, you know, you could probably drift back into old habits quite easily. But I think having that network, and that's what, so been amazing about the internet how we can all stay connected mm. obviously it's got its downsizes but I think it's probably one of the most powerful tools we've got now to stay connected and then groups coming together mm-hmm. to have that support network I've done a few things over the past few years and to stay connected with them people that support network just keeps keeps there so when you kind of maybe you're going to go and put something out there which is a little bit um, beyond the norm all of a sudden you've got that network will then support you and help you and encourage you mm. along the way yeah, I think that's. I think I've mentioned it a few times in in our little chat. But there's this, this sort of three part structure to the work that we're doing. Action for Happiness, particularly present in this course, which is, you know, the central part of which is connect and that support from other people. But I think when we combine that with this stopping, the tuning in, being able to gain true awareness of what's going on, this connection that we have with others can become deeper, more authentic, more significant in the ways that you've described and give us a platform on which to take action that we can really learn from. So it's most likely that this podcast will be going out on Blue Monday, which um, so I think it's a good timing for people who are going to be listening to this then because uh, supposedly it's the um, most miserable time of the year. Um, so um, I think it will be a, a really good, you know, potentially put people to think a little bit more deeply or to feel a bit inspired to sort of bring some meaning or sharing or whatever that may be in their lives on a particular day where, you know, I don't particularly buy into that. I'm not going to be going along with this Blue Monday, but it tends to be a thing that gets promoted um, because it's a few weeks after Christmas and yeah. everyone's kind of, maybe the New Year's resolutions of um, the um, motivation and inspiration behind them is kind of like not quite there anymore. So, um, yeah, there's... Yeah, I guess, yeah, it's interesting to know, you know, to what extent things like Blue Monday are a self-fulfilling prophecy, <laughs> you know, you hammer this idea home for people that this is going to be a sad day of the year, and I think you're probably going to condition people to think and act in that certain way, I guess. My, yeah, my personal invitation for that would be, you know, if you're feeling like today is your, your Blue Monday, you know, what element of forgiveness can you bring to some blueness that's inside you? that maybe you haven't given attention to recently. I like that. So just coming back to um, Relaxing for Happiness and what does the future look like? What, you know, impact do you look, bigger impact are you looking to make? Have you got a, a vision for that, how that may or may look, or is it just unfolding as it is based on all the things that you're doing? Well, I think one of the things that's really true of a movement is that it's very much led by the people that make it up and that we've been wise to follow the energy that's there rather than trying to impose things as sort of external leaders and I think the more that we listen and the more that we respond to what's really being called for the more effective that movement is. That said, I think we can look around at the world and see how much weight there is on the other side of the scales, how much division how much fear, how much you know, real chaos there is in the old stories that were making up the way that we saw the world. To me, 
that suggests that at some point new stories will be required. The call for a new way of looking at the world is going to be increasingly present. And what Action for Happiness is slowly sowing the seeds of and building is just a different way of us being with each other and looking at how we could structure our lives and our relationship to the world. And I think that holds huge potential. Yeah, it certainly does. It certainly does. And it's really inspiring to hear all the things you've been speaking about today. And, and um, I, I came across Action Happiness, I think, about a year or so ago. And then in Positive News magazine recently, there was, a, there was an article in there and I was like, I've got to try and sit in front of one of these guys and get them on my podcast because I think there's a really important message to be shared and to realise that there is a network out there and there is these tools and techniques that we can follow and there's these happy cafes that are dotting up, I believe just close to me, I went on the map yesterday and there was three pretty close by, you know, and when you zoom out all over Britain, there is hundreds what it appears to be mm-hmm. um, and that seems like a great way to start for some people to, to, to connect with people who are um, along similar mindsets or looking to do whatever they can or just to feel happy to do something in the life to just feel a bit better in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so away from action for happiness I'm interested to know um, you know you, you've been open it's great to hear about you talking about your own personal experiences and on interesting to know who's had maybe I you know a really the greatest positive influence on you in your life growing up or recently or whoever it may be hmm. yeah it might be a slightly cheesy answer um, but I I kind of want to say everyone <laughs> um, I think a lot of my suffering came from being a little bit overly self-focused in my youth, a little bit kind of really wrapped up in my own problems, my own sort of slightly victim identity. And it's both through the presence of people around me offering me kindness and the presence of people around me offering opportunities to be kind to them that I've really discovered a sense of interconnection, a sense of purpose, and a sense of value in who I am and what I have to offer. So I kind of want to thank everyone, really. That is, that's a great response. Yeah, it's not, um, it's not, um, what do you say, like a bit of a cop-out saying that at all. <laughs> no, it's, um, that's nice, and I think it is, it's that, isn't it? You know, um, everyone plays an influence on us, whoever that may be. Mm. Maybe a very fleeting moment with someone that someone says, or a particular event that happened to it, or whatever it may be, yeah, it's definitely, it all shapes us in every way. So, it's kind of coming to the end of this interview, I've really enjoyed it, but what I always like to ask all my guests so is that, because this podcast is all about sharing what good people are doing, mm-hmm. like yourself, and, and especially all the stuff that's happening with Action for Happiness, but I'm interested to know from you, what would you potentially share to someone who's looking to go out there and do their own bit of good in the world? Mm. Well, what's coming to me is two suggestions, really. One, don't be afraid to look far on the horizon for the big issues that you really care about but have been too afraid to touch on. And then secondly, when you look to take action on some of those things, don't be afraid to look really close to home for the small, simple things that you can do right away to begin that process. Beautiful. 
I really like that. Thank you very much for sharing that. So before we end, I would love to know how, if people are wanting to get connected with Action for Happiness, yeah. um, how can they go about it? How can they find out more about it? Uh, I mean, probably the best way is, is through our website, um, which I'm sure we might be able to send a link or, or something, but um, just for people that are listening and, and would like to take a note, um, I don't know how to give you a moment to find a pen, but uh, assuming that you can rewind. <laughs> press pause. <laughs> yeah, press pause. Probably a good idea to do that anyway. Let's do that together now. Okay, so the website is www.actionforhappiness, all one word, .org. And on there you can find things about the course, the 10 keys, uh, work that we do with schools, um, and all sorts of tips for you as an individual uh, to be inspired by and ways that you can connect with others. So, yeah, look forward to seeing you on that. Well, Alex, I really appreciate you taking the time out today. Thank you, yeah, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. So that brings to the end today's episode. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I felt like I got a lot out of it. I think there's loads of great resources that you can check out from this. And as always... I've included all the show notes of the things that we're talking about so you can check out Action Happiness's website, you can check out the 10 keys to happiness, you can look into some of the resources and the programs and also find out about the cafes which can be local to you which I think is an amazing idea and it's something that I'm definitely going to be checking out. So that's it for today's episode. If you like this please like, share, subscribe and leave us a comment or review on apple that would be amazing so like i said i'm going to play out with a slightly different tune this time so it's going to be a good life by inner city it's a dance classic from the 90s so it might make you want to move a little bit for me this feels like a great one that makes me happy and hopefully it'll make you guys feel a bit happy as well until next time have a good one I know you wanna go, it's a good life